going to continue our series about calling. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying helping people understand their purpose, understand what God wants from them through all of their lives, through their whole lives, through the seven-day-a-week, not just our church lives. But today we get to this topic, and that is that we are called together as His church. That yes, we're called to know the Lord, but we are called to be God's people. We're going to get to the fact that we're called to do God's work, and we've been exploring different elements of that on the way through. But today we're talking about being God's people, that we are called together. Maybe you're familiar with some of these stories. Rick, he grew up, not the real Rick, I've changed the names. Um, just, just note on all of these. Don't know, who is that? These stories are very common. You, you, you'll... Rick, anyway, he grew up in church. His parents were sort of, you know, more or less regular churchgoers. But when he moved away to uni, he didn't sort out which church to go to before he left. He sorted out his studies, his flat. He sorted out the favorite places to visit. But he hadn't sorted out where his people would be as far as the church. So he tried a few when he first went there. But it was hard with O-Week and a few other things going on. He didn't seem to settle or make any friends. His flatmates, they were into other stuff. So he ended up getting into that instead. He hasn't been to church in six years. Sarah. Sarah got saved as a young adult, got really involved in the church she was in. She was on fire and she was an up-and-coming leader. People saw Sarah as someone with big potential. Over time, though, Sarah began to feel used. She was involved in everything, and she didn't feel cared for. She was hurt, and she hasn't been to church in a very long time. Tim, not our Tim in Auckland. Tim, he doesn't have a problem with church. He's just enjoying his life. He's away more weekends than not. He's enjoying surfing, the snow, bushwalks, or whatever adventure is on the cards. Tim is in present not because he's got an issue, just he doesn't have a habit. Michael, he served in worship teams since he was a young lad. I think that's the first time I'm ever going to say lad. Might be the last time too. Until he started hanging out with a bunch of new mates. Through all of his years and serving in worship teams, people would have thought he was on fire for God, but it turns out he didn't have many personal spiritual pra uh, practices. He started to realize he had some big questions, but he isn't asking them of God, or isn't searching the scriptures, or isn't talking with a pastor or a spiritual mentor. He needs to get away from the church to find the truth. Susan, she's a bit older, maybe even a boomer. Her kids have grown up, they've left home. She doesn't belong to a church per se, as she says. She's grown beyond that. Whether she attends or not does not affect her love for Jesus. There's our young parents, Brett and Jess. They recently had their second baby. They've barely been to church since their first and not at all since their second. It's just so hard with all of the feeding times, the nap times, 
and the busy life. I mean, they make it to friends' birthdays and to special events and to other outgoings, but church is just too tough. And then there's the busy parents, Aaron and Charlotte with their older kids, spread from 10 to 18. Church doesn't seem to matter much to them anymore. With all their kids' sports and their recreations and their weekends away, don't we realize that nippers and reps are on Sundays? They don't have a problem missing church, but they never miss a game or a training. We could wonder about the state of Rick's or Sarah's or Tim's or Michael's or Susan's or Brett and Jess or Aaron and Charlotte's souls. We could wonder about their relationship with God. We could wonder about whether or not they're growing as disciples. But we don't have to wonder because all of us know people like this and we know the answer. We know where they're at. We know whether or not they're flourishing. It saddens me deeply that's what some church environments have done to people. It saddens me how many Christians drift away from their faith, from the very communities God placed them in. It saddens me how much church hopping takes place. And it frustrates the heck out of me how many issues Christians have with the idea of church. It's just not that complicated. I'd imagine many of us have experienced some of the best like I have of church and some of the worst like I have of church. I'd imagine some of us here watching online in Auckland could tell stories of having a season where we've drifted away and we've come back, obviously, on preaching to the choir today. I'd imagine every one of us knows people who have given up on church. They have all different language they shrouded in or different things that they say, but we can call it what it is. They've given up on the idea of church. And I hope that we could come to an agreement as a church, as the people of Curate today, that something's not right when we're attempting to follow Jesus without his body. When we're attempting to know Father God without wanting to know the sons and daughters of God. When we want to be an individual functioning member rather than what the scripture calls us clearly to be, to be a part of this one another community. I can tell you this, the enemy is like a lion and like a lion he loves to isolate his prey. And it's his oldest trick in the book but he's doing it now more than ever to good people. I hope people are listening today. I hope people get sent this today who have the church at arm's length. And I hope the spirit turns up wherever you are and convicts you that you need to be in a church somewhere in some form. We cannot live, hear me, you cannot live a full life on Christ, a full life in Christ with the church at arm's length. You can call it whatever you want. I've still got my faith. Yeah, it's never about just having faith. The demons know who God is. It's not about, it's about our faith actually flourishing. And that's never going to happen with the church at arm's length. I think we have to ask the question, is the way I see it, is my attitude towards it, and is the way I'm living with the church what you want, God? Or do you have some correction to give me. 
We need a perspective. We need an attitude that comes from this thing, the Bible. And we need practices in our lives, habits that we actually form and protect that actually shape the intended character that God and hopefully we want. Here's my big idea today, is that scattering happens naturally, but gathering always requires intentionality. It doesn't take any effort not to turn up, but it takes some effort too. It doesn't take any effort to not be a part of a small group. It takes some effort to get to one. It doesn't take any effort to live isolated. It takes effort to draw near to people. There's more to flourish. Hear me on this too. There's more to flourishing in our faith than gathering as a church. Just coming to church will not make you flourish in your faith. It requires more than that. It's not like a silver bullet. However, there's no flourishing without it because there's no obedience without it around simple things. So I want to I wanna help us get a conviction today and talk a little bit about habit. Here's my question. Do you have a Bible-formed conviction when it comes to the idea of God's church and your part in it, or do you just have a reaction like many things, I mean, we've been giving today. If I ask people about their, their, what they think about giving and money, more people have reactions than they have convictions. Their reactions have become convictions. They're very passionate about them. But it doesn't mean that they've searched the Scriptures and gone, oh, no, because here it says this, that's why I believe that. And we need that when it comes to church because the idea of it continues to be under attack, not from the world, from Christians. Many people's ideas are either not thought out, not Bible-informed, they're formed by individualism, consumerism, trauma, hurt, or opinion. But what is the church to God, and why does it matter? The church is the word in the New Testament for God's people. It's used in two ways, and it's important we understand that. One, the universal way. It's like God's church across all of the earth. It's why in the the creeds it says God's holy Catholic church. Catholic means universal. God's church in all of its forms, from home home churches to big churches to small churches to well-organized churches to disorganized churches to voting churches to no voting churches, different leadership styles, but it's all God's universal church. But the word is most often used, not in this way, it's most often used to refer to a local gathering of believers. And these two are interconnected. It's actually completely foreign to the scriptures, the idea of being a Christian, not a part of a local gathering. It's not in there. Like you have to make that up. That's just inconceivable to Paul and the other writers. The word is this word ecclesia. That's where we get this word church. It doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean a place. It doesn't mean a time. It literally means a gathered together people for a purpose. In its common day, if everybody turned out for a riot back in Jesus' time, they would say, look at that ecclesia right there. These people gathered for this purpose. And Paul takes that word and goes, this is a good word to describe God's church through the holy inspired scriptures. It's not a place or a time, but to be an ecclesia always requires a place and a time. You can't have it without it. It's not a building. You don't need a building. You can have a park, but you need something to gather into. You need a place, you need a time, whether that's of your small group or of a Sunday to worship the Lord, whatever it is. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. 
to the church, to the ecclesia of God that is in Corinth, the people gathered in God's name in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, made clean, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We are called together. We are called to be together, to live together, to flourish together, to journey together, to grow together, to reach together, to equip together, to worship together, to pray together, to learn together. We are called together. It's not alone, but together. It says, with all of God's people, in every place. It assumes that there are local gatherings all across the city, both their Lord and ours. Like, we're in this together, not my Lord, their Lord and our Lord, the one Lord. It's just so hard. We're so individualistic. We look at it through this lens. We, it's like, what do you mean, this togetherness? Isn't it just me and Jesus? No, it's not. Faith is something that gets passed on to us and something that we're supposed to pass on. We inherit it. We become a part of a story so much bigger than us and God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? I don't know if you've seen this quote before. I hear people say you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right in a sense. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone but you don't have to go home to be married either. But stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. <laughs> Honestly, to say I don't need to go to church is to completely miss the point. It's inconceivable to the scriptures to be a Christian and not a part of a local group of believers. An individual Christian is an oxymoron. 32%, get this stat, 32% of practicing Christians, active Christians in America left the church over the last two years. One third. And I'd imagine it's not that dissimilar here. Among, here's the thing, among those practicing Christians who have lessened or completely stopped worship attendance, different research shows that individual flourishing is also hindered. When they ask them about the quality of their life, the quality of their peace, the quality of their, you know, wrestles against addictions, the two are connected. Birds of a feather always flock together in our world. All over the world, people gather in common interest, political parties, knitting groups, surfers, or fishing clubs. Psychologist Jennifer Hartstein stated on NBC Today, but what's interesting about the study is it looked at all kinds of different groups and even those where you have community like a sports group or a political group or whatever, they didn't offer the same kind of sustained happiness as religion and faith. It's more than just people being together. It's being together in Jesus' name. Joining political or community organizations lost their benefits over time. In fact, the short-term benefits from those social connections often lead to depressive symptoms later on. The church appears to play a very important role in keeping depression at bay and also as a coping mechanism during periods of illness in later life. In 2007, the atheist social psychologist Jonathan Haidt summarized findings to date on the benefits of religious participation. Surveys have long shown that religious believers in the United States are happier, healthier, longer-lived, and more generous to charity and to each other than secular people. 
But since then, the research has been done even better. The correlation between regular church going and multiple mental and physical health benefits has come even more established. In 2016, USA Today, um, they titled a, an article, Religion May Be the Miracle J Drug. Harvard professor Tyler Vanderweel and journalist John Sniff wrote this, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? It turns out very little. They went on to outline the multiple mental and physical health benefits correlated with attending church at least once a week or more including reducing mortality by 20 to 30% over a 15-year period. I don't know what vitamins you're taking, but you just need to go to church. <laughs> the mental health benefits are particularly striking. Studies have shown that those who participate in religious services at least once a week are more optimistic and have lower rates of depression and are less likely to commit suicide than those who don't. And these effects aren't slight. One large-scale study of U.S. women found that those who attended religious services at least once a week were five times less likely to kill themselves. This increasing secularization in America, they comment, is, is nothing short of a public health crisis. Look, the research on protective effects of church going doesn't mean that faithful, active, participating Christians have no risk of death or despair, depression or anxiety. That's not what it's saying. It's that we see a buffer. We see a difference being made. We see what God in our midst together can do in our lives. It's human nature to form tribes. We will all do it. Birds of a feather will flock together, but we need to decide who are going to be our primary people in our lives. What community are we going to live from? When we live, like, here's the thing, God sees us as one people. Whether you like it or not, whether you see yourself as a part of God's church or not, God sees you as a part of his church. When he's inviting you into a local gathering, when he's inviting you to be a part of it, he's just saying, live into the reality I already see. If you don't like church, you're going to hate heaven. Right, because heaven is God's people living together under the rule of Christ. Local gatherings is our training ground of learning to do this thing together so we're better prepared for it then. It's living towards the truth. And actually when we separate ourselves from it, we're saying what God sees doesn't matter. The Bible says that this church thing is the way God's trying to show his manifold wisdom to the powers of this world. It says that this is the pillar of truth in this world. It's interesting, Jesus didn't just call the disciples to himself. He called them together with each other. We're pictured with Jesus in eternity as a people, not as individuals. And we have an opportunity to begin living in that now. People talk about bringing heaven to earth. Learn to live in church. Living well with God's people now is how we bring heaven to earth or one of the ways we bring heaven to earth. We're relational beings. There's no doubt about it. You know, a baby gets born, you know, they can't really do anything except moan about what they don't have. That's like they cry, they're hungry, they cry, they're, you know, whatever. They, they need changing, they've sawed themselves. But you know what they can do? They can grip on a finger. It's like this connection reflex that even from the moment they come out of the womb, they can latch on to relationship. And, and, and relationships form us. They're incredibly 
formational. Our personhood is essentially our relational network come to fruition in our lives. We become unique persons by being in relationship. Most people think they have to separate from people to find themselves, but actually you find yourselves with people. You need a balance, but it's not, you're not going to find yourself by being disconnected from relationships. In fact, relationships are like mirrors and things we catch and we form and we figure ourselves out. When someone encounters me, I'm not just encountering me and my personality profile and my blazer. We could talk about that again. They're encountering my parents. They're encountering my relatives. They're encountering my friends, my community. They're encountering my God because we're formed in relationship. Community is the birthplace of the self, some have said. So which community is yourself going to be birthed in? Where's it going to be formed from? This is so challenging because most of us give more weight to our digital networks than we do to our embodied communities. We come to church once every two weeks, but we listen to 13 hours of YouTube stupidity. <laughs> or we listen to 30 podcasts. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but there is something wrong with where the people God's actually placed you with you hold them at arm's length, but you invite these people that couldn't care if you exist to scream into your soul all day. There's something wrong with that. This is what's wrong with the church at the moment is that people are actually in churches, their pastors are trying to love them, help them, guide them, form them, but they're spending all this time listening to everybody else who couldn't care for them and doesn't even know your name to pray for you. And this challenge between our embodied communities and our digital networks is where discipleship needs to be fought at the moment. These are great tools, but don't forsake where God has placed you. God has placed you somewhere for a reason. Consumerism has told us church is all about us. Lifestyle worship has told us we can do it all in our terms. Trauma has told us we're justified in staying away. Offense has told us it's their fault. Polarization has told us I can't be in relationship unless we're in agreement about everything. Deconstructionism has told us I need to get away from the church to find the truth. And the Bible says I'm a part of the church and I need to gather to it. Which one are you listening to? Because scattering will always happen naturally, but gathering requires intentionality. It's not enough to get a conviction. As much as a conviction is important, I'd imagine most of us have convictions about things that we don't have habits to back up. Right? Like convictions do matter. Like getting the right thinking, being able to stand there and defend the way you think and the way you see the world based on the scriptural truth, that is very important. But it needs to be coupled with habit. It's like, oh, I know that being in relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, habit. How are you going to foster that in your daily life? What are you going to practice? What are going to be your habits that continue to anchor that as true? It's like, I know that my marriage matters. Cool, 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 cool. What are going to be the habits, the, the practices that continue to prioritize that relationship above all other relationships other than my one with God? What am I actually going? Are we going on date night? Are we checking in? What are, what are we doing? How do we serve each other? What are we doing this thing? Because it's, it's easy to say it matters, 
We need a practice to couple our conviction. People don't have convictions, and some people don't have practices. We need both. Hebrews 10.25, you've heard it a million times if you've been in church for more than a month. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It amazes me how many Christians ignore this verse. Let us not neglect our meeting together. I don't know, I feel like I've read this out lots of times and people don't listen to it. I'm not quite sure what to say, what to add to it, other than, you know, it's like, oh, the Bible's a bit, you know, gray, it needs interpretation. Now, this is pretty black and white. This is, this is we don't need to, dis- let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Let us not neglect. There were many reasons people stopped gathering together to the Hebrew audience, persecution, not seeing it as essential to a personal faith, leadership tensions, delayed end times sort of fulfillment. But here's the thing, the number one reason why people stop gathering in church today in the Western world, here's what it is. They slide out of the habit. It's not hurt. It's not offense. It's not big trauma. It's just we slide out of the habit. Once a month turns into once every three weeks, turns into once every two weeks, turns into once a month, turns into a few times a year, turns into never. Turns into COVID, never. This is important because it's just the habit. I know there's other reasons. I know there's leadership tensions. I know there's hurt. I know it's not seeing it as important or essential to personal faith, but the scripture says, don't neglect it. Don't forsake it. Here's what a a commentator said. Hebrews 10.25 does not merely denote the assembling for corporate worship as a solitary or occasional act, but as a customary conduct, a.k.a. a habit. The uh, The preposition in the sentence must refer to Christ himself as the one whom the assembly was attached. Thus, it would have the meaning of not betraying one's attachment to Jesus Christ and to other believers, not avoiding one's own personal responsibility as a part of the body of Christ. You know, it literally says, you know, where it says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. The Greek word is, as some people have it. That's all it is. Some people, some people just have the wrong habit. What? I know, I'm preaching in the choir here. What habit do you have? Here you are. You're obviously doing okay. But encourage people. Parakaleo is actually to call out good, to call something out of people. Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. I need practices if I'm going to be healthier in my body, and I need practices if I'm going to know God more and become like Him. And I need practices if I'm going to stay faithful to the assignments God's given me, and I need practices if I'm going to be faithful to God's people who He's calling me together with. Can the church be better? For sure. Let's just all agree on that. But that's why we need to come together to make it so. I want to model to our kids who our people are, what we're a part of. I want to be a church person. Parents, hear me on this one. 
wherever you are listening there, parents' room, wherever you are on this one, you will be, negle- you will be tempted to neglect raising your kids in church. There will be sports, there will be birthday parties, there will be endless engagement like that you can be at. The, the list of temptations is only growing. It's not what it was 20 years ago where Sunday was sacred. It's not sacred anymore, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't be in your life. And we've been unapologetic to our kids of like, you can be involved in a lot of things, but I tell you what's not up for grabs is where we're gonna be on Sunday. Because that is a practice. They got like 1%, 0.1% chance of being a professional athlete, but they got a high percentage chance of not loving Christ if you don't raise them in church. And I don't really care about them being a professional athlete, to be honest. I care much more about their faith. And I'd rather teach them anchored practices in their life than have them involved in everything that they're not even going to be involved in when they're 20 anyway. But faith could bless them for the next 80 years of their life. But most of them have given up football by the time they're 18. What are we prioritizing? When we're more committed to our kids' school or our sports than we are to God's people, what do you think that's saying to our kids? They catch way more than we say. If it's too hard to get to church, something's wrong with your life, not the church. Order it around God's priorities. Habits, they change. They need to be formed. They need to be protected. They need to be reclaimed for sure. This is a grounding habit, being with God's people. This is a habit that will keep you being stirred on for all of the other habits. It's a centering spiritual practice. I bet if you just opened up your life to the Spirit of God and said, God, if you could plan my week, how would you plan it? I guarantee he'd have something to say about Sunday. I guarantee it if you would just ask him. Form a practice, change our thinking. Begin praying for your church. Begin giving to your church. Begin attending a small group and engaging at a relational level. This is great for worship and the Word, but there's a deeper level that God wants us in relationally. Live well as God's people in the here and now because that's what God wants. And the more and more we do that, the more and more radical it's going to look. Here's what I want you to know. When we're fostering our common life and community, when we're gathering together, we're actually living out our calling. Today, all of you here, all of you in Auckland, you're living out your calling. Every Sunday, during the week, people mostly write me nice mail. I'm very thankful for it. They send me nice messages. They say, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your whatever. And I'm very grateful for it. But the truth is, is that I've been way more blessed by being a part of God's church than I could ever be a blessing. I've been way more blessed. I've been blessed by the help, been blessed by the friendships, I've been blessed by the generosity, I've been blessed by the prayers, I've been blessed by the support, and I'm pouring out a lot for this church, but the blessing still far outweighs that. And that's why God invites us into it, because there's something for us in it. There's such a blessing in it for us. If only we would lean into it as He would have us. We're going to gather around communion in Auckland and here now. 
And I wanted to finish communion with communion today because even though we're in big rooms and it doesn't feel like a table we're gathered around, it has at its heart the table of Jesus, which he says, come and be a part of my family and sit at my table where we are all one together. Not where some have more than the other, but where the same blood and the same body broken and poured out for us unites us as one people. So let's come around the table this morning thankful for God's community, thankful for His blessings, thankful for His church, but also allowing Him to speak to us about how we're journeying with God's church. Does my perspective, does my attitude, do my habits reflect what the Spirit is leading me to in my life? 